This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 for our text. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I've entitled the message, Is the Handwriting on the Wall? Is the Handwriting on the Wall? Let's read. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against them. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would quicken your word to us this morning. I pray that your word would fall on fertile ground in our hearts and we would be challenged by this word. And that we would be changed by your word. Let it come alive within us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get started in my message, I want to draw your attention back to verse 6. It says, Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Every one of us knows people who plan on standing before God on judgment day and pleading their case with him. They plan on giving them or giving him their arguments of why they lived their life as they did. They plan on giving excuses for why they lived a rebellious life. You know people like that. I know people like that who think in their rebellious state that they will stand before a holy God and be able to argue their case before him. But I want you to notice what happened to King Belshazzar when the, he saw just the hand of God writing on the wall. It says that his countenance changed. 
And his mind troubled him. And his hips were loosed to the place where he couldn't stand on them. And his knees knocked together in fear. And we are an arrogant people who think we are going to stand in front of God and argue our case with him. Who will give him excuses. Well, Lord, I would have served you, but you know how I was treated in the church. You know how I was excommunicated out of the church as if there was only one church they could attend. They think they're going to give their excuses to God and that He will change His mind and He will allow them to enter heaven. They're going to argue with Him. But God, You didn't give me a chance to serve You. If I'd only known that hell was real and heaven was real, I would have chosen your side. There's no going to be no argument with God. There's no, no arguing with God. There's no debating with God. There's no trying to make... What's the word I need? Help me, Lord. Making compromises with God. If you haven't served Him in this life, you will never stand in His presence for eternity. You will stand in His presence on judgment day and you will hear Him say, Depart from me. But then after that, you'll never see Him again. And there is no arguing your point with Him. When you stand before a holy, righteous God, when they stand before a righteous God, their knees are going to knock, their hips are going to be loose, and they will fall on their face before Him, and they will not be able to say a word to Him. As His angels escort you out of His presence. I share that with you because every one of us knows people who plan on arguing with God their case. And that is why it is so important for us to be a witness to them. To remind them of the fact that there is no equal to God. And no one can stand in his presence other than to worship or to tremble in fear. So those people who come to you and tell you that they're going to argue their case before God, you remind them of Daniel 5, 6. And then you pray for them. You intercede for them. Because one day, unless things change here on this earth, they will stand before that God. And the arguments they think they're going to share, the excuses they think they're going to share, will all be gone. And their lips will not utter a single thing other than regret. I just I felt I need to share that. Because we all know people who have said they're going to do that. All right, back to my notes. Is the handwriting on the wall? Is the handwriting on the wall? 
In our story, the handwriting that was on the wall was for King Belshazzar. It was a warning from God. And I ask you this morning, the question, is the handwriting on the wall for America? Has the hand of God already wrote on the wall for America? And I will say this to you, if he hasn't already wrote it on the wall, he is about to. Because God has a warning for America. In this story, we see a lot of arrogance and pride in King Belshazzar. Do we not see that same arrogance against God in America? King Belshazzar looked at his kingdom and he believed that he had built it and established it himself. He was arrogant in that. There are a lot of things that America can learn from King Belshazzar's mistakes. And although the emphasis on my, of my message this morning is for America as a nation, I want you to know that the church and we as individuals can also learn lessons from this story. And we need to take notice of it, lest we make the same mistakes as King Belshazzar. But I, I want the emphasis to be on our nation as a whole and where this nation is heading. Because I believe it's one step from the gate of hell. One step away from the gates of hell. Point number one. Has America knowingly or unknowingly set itself up against the Lord of heaven? King Belshazzar had done that. Look at verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5. It says, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this about his father, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see, which do not hear, which do not know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified look at that the god who holds your breath and owns all of your ways you've thumbed your nose at him and you've chosen to worship gods that have no life in them is this not a picture of America today? The God that holds our breath is a jealous God who will not share His glory with anyone or anything. 
And yet, America is just treating him as another God on their shelf to worship. King Belshazzar knew how King Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had failed to give glory to God and what had happened to him and how he was punished by God. If you read the story, Daniel went to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, King, you need to change your ways. You have a little bit too much pride and arrogancy. You believe that you established this kingdom on your own. And it is God who established you and your kingdom. And you need to give Him glory. And King Nebuchadnezzar listened to Daniel for a little while. But then he started getting arrogant again. And when that happened... God removed him off of the throne and put him out in the wilderness and King Nebuchadnezzar took on the mind of wild beasts. Had to eat grass like an oxen. And the Bible says that he was that way for seven years until he finally came to his senses and realized that this isn't about me, it is about the God of heaven. And when he humbled himself and acknowledged that, then God raised him back up and put him back on the throne. And King Belshazzar understood what had happened to his father, and yet he didn't learn from his father. And he committed the same sins of his father. And now we see the hand of God warning him. For his decision. Are we not seeing the same thing happening in America? America no longer worships the God of their fathers. They're worshiping the God, the heathen gods of pagan nations. We are no doubt the greatest nation in the world. We're the greatest nation that has ever been established by God except maybe Israel. No other nation has experienced the prosperity that Americans has enjoyed. No other nation has had technological and economic and, and business advances like the people of America. We have advanced not only technology, but intelligence as a whole, like no other nation ever has. We've accomplished things 
that no other nation has ever accomplished. I mean, we can go from indoor plumbing to putting a man on the moon in the same generation. No other nation has accomplished these things. We are no doubt the greatest nation in the world. And yet, we have begun to eliminate God more and more from the fiber of our existence. More and more, we are removing the presence of God and replacing it with a spirit of lawlessness. And heaven help us if we don't pay attention to the handwriting that is on the wall. We have gone from a nation that called right, right, and wrong, wrong, and sin, sin. We've changed from that nation to a nation that now calls things that are wrong, right, and things that are right, wrong. We no longer live according to God's standard of morality, but based on what everybody thinks is right in their own mind, they do it. That is one step away from chaos and anarchy. And God is giving us a warning to turn back to Him. And if we fail to do that as a nation, it won't be long before this nation crumbles. Is the handwriting on the wall? Point number two, is America using the things of God for its own personal exaltation? Let me say that again. Is America using the things of God for its own personal exaltation? Look at verses two through four once again. While he tasted the wine... Belshazzar had this idea and he gave a command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they bring these vessels that had once been used in the temple of God to worship God. And they drank wine and praised the gods of the gold and silver. King Belshazzar was so arrogant in, and prideful that he took what was once God's, not God plural, but God possessive, that once belonged to God and used it for his own exaltation. What once belonged to God, he was now using at his party. 
Is not America doing the same thing? We may not be using gold and silver vessels to drink wine out of at a party. But America is treating the church and the things of God the same way. The church was once set apart to glorify God. It was set apart and holy, reflecting a righteous, holy God to the unrighteous. There was a difference from the church and the world. And whether you wanted to serve God or not, you still knew that there was something about the church that belonged to God and it was hands off. But not anymore. In fact, we have allowed the world to enter the church and take up residency. Now, I don't mean people coming in and visiting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ways of the world. We've let the ways of the world come into the church and determine how we do things. We've diluted the message of holiness in order to make the world feel comfortable. And I, and, I, and I mean this, that we need to let people come in. People who are in the bondage of their sins, they need to feel welcome. Amen? And they need to feel comfortable enough to come into our churches. They, they need that. But we've become so much like the world that they can come in with their sins and feel comfortable in our presence. And that should never happen. The world feels comfortable and welcome to come into our churches and they never feel convicted. Because we've diluted the message of the church. The world should always feel welcome to come. But they should never feel comfortable in its sin. The church looks more like the world than a holy, righteous God anymore. We've changed our ways because we want the world to come in and feel welcome. And so we've changed our ways and we've taken on the look of the world. And so the world comes to us and they feel, I'm welcome, I'm comfortable here. And the only message that they get from the church is, I don't have to change. As long as I attend church, I'm safe. I'm on my way to heaven now. America has taken the things of God and used it now for its entertainment. And by that I mean America is so embroiled in its sin and wickedness 
that it is using the church to come on Sunday morning and feel good about themselves and entertain themselves and then they can go back into that sinful lifestyle never being changed. America is now using the things of God to exalt itself. We have more mega churches in America now than we have ever had before. And America is using those mega churches for its entertainment. Now, I'm not saying the churches themselves are bad. Hear that. But what I am saying is America is no longer running to the church for safety. America is no longer running to the church for salvation. It's running to the church for entertainment. The church has become incredibly talented with its worship services. And I'm not coming down on worship services. Understand this. But, but what I'm saying is this is the way America sees the church. It's not always the way the church is, but it's the way America sees the church. They look up at the platform and they see all kinds of music instruments. They see all the lights. And they see the... Should I say it or not? Yeah. They see the smoke machines. And they think they're at a concert. And they get all excited and they jump around. But they're not jumping in worship. They're jumping because it's entertainment to them. Now for the worship team and the church, the people who are in the church, it is worship. Okay? I'm not coming down on that. I like to dance before the Lord. Okay? Somebody comes in and they see me and they'll think, that kid is weird. That kid is nuts. That kid is just putting on show. But I know inside me it's worship. Okay? But that's the way it is in churches. We have so perfected our worship that it looks worldly. David was... He was... He was accused of being worldly by his wife as the, as the ark came into the city. David was leading the procession and he was dancing before the Lord. The Bible says that he was naked before them, which meant he didn't have his cleanly uh, attire on. He was just dressed just like any common person rather than a king. And his wife, Michael, said, Didn't you look ridiculous? Dancing out there like some common fool instead of the king of Israel. And David said, Yeah, and I'll look even more undignified for my God. Why? Because for David, it was Worship. 
To the world, it looked like entertainment. But to David, it looked like worship. And the Bible says that David went on to enjoy a long kingship when Michael died barren, unable to have children. You don't mock God and leave unchanged, amen? And we as a church need to worship God no matter what it looks like to the world. But understand, the more undignified we get in the church, the more the world will look at it and say it's entertainment. And America is using the church as a form of entertainment. For the worldly, for the worldly America, the church doesn't look like anything different than anything they go to on Friday night and Saturday night and during the week. It's just another opportunity to go and be entertained. America has taken the things of God and using it for self Exaltation is the handwriting on the wall. We need to make sure the church is worshiping. Amen? Not just imitating the world. Third, Has America made a God out of the things of God? Has America made a God out of the things of God? King Belshazzar in verse 4 says, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver. Those vessels that was once used in worship in the temple of God was now being used by King Belshazzar as, a, as an object to worship and to praise because it defined the value of his kingdom. Is not America doing the same thing? i got to be careful on this one. While I was studying and preparing for this message, I got a little wild on this one. I got to be careful. Has America used and made a God out of the things of God? America is hungry to worship something. This nation is hungry to worship something. And it's not always the God of heaven. Instead of worshiping God, so many people are chasing after manifestations and are worshiping manifestations rather than the God who distributes the gifts that bring the manifestations. So many people are worshiping the supernatural 
and saying that is the God. They're worshiping the gifts as if that's the God that is active in the church. Many are treating and trying to build revivals on popular ministries. <laughs> Have you ever heard people talking about their church? I want to go to this church because our church runs 10,000 people. You need to come to this church because it's the happening church. I want to go to this church because, man, if you listen to the pastor preach, he is so incredible. He just holds you on the edge of your seat as he talks about life issues. I want to go to this church because you see my wife and I have several little kids and I love going to this church because, man, they have a kid's program. You should see all the toys and the gadgets that they have that they let the kids play with for an hour. Oh, it's just so good to drop my kids off and be able to sit in the pew and listen and not have to worry about screaming kids. Oh, this is the church to go to. And then you have a few who say, oh, <laughs> I want to go to that church because they serve the best donuts and, <laughs> and they serve smoky roll coffee during fellowship. This is the church to go to. If you want a cup of coffee, you got to come to this church. You don't drink coffee, it don't matter. Just get you a cup and hold it. Everybody thinks you're drinking it. <laughs> now, there may be some spiritual things happening in those churches, but people don't talk about spiritual things when they're talking about their churches, when they're trying to get people to come to their churches, when they're trying to invite people to church, they will talk about everything except spiritual things. And they will tell you, oh, we don't talk about spiritual things. No, 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 no. We don't want to talk about anything that's spiritual because spiritual things drive people away. We can't speak about spiritual things because if we do, no one will come and visit us. So we got to talk about all of the other things that's happening in the church but let's not talk about no spiritual stuff you see at our church we sneak up on the people <laughs> have you heard it i've heard it we don't speak about spiritual things because we like to sneak up on the people Let's get them in church and have them come for a month in, uh, in a row, uh, Sundays in a row, and then we 
will present Jesus to them. But we got to get them locked into the church before we can talk about anything spiritual. I want you to know, the God I serve doesn't sneak up on the devil. The God I serve doesn't sneak up on anybody. He comes from the front door and he kicks the door in. The God I serve told 300 people, you don't worry about the battle. The battle's mine. You just show up with a, a horn and a, and a t- torch and a clay jar and when i give you the message when i give you the word you break the clay jar you hold your torch up and you blow your horn and then watch me fight for you as i come through the front door you watch me take care of your enemies and you watched and you read about how god caused the enemy armies to be confused and to begin to fight one another My God doesn't sneak up on people. My God uses donkeys to talk to prophets to make sure that they say what he wants them to say. Because he ain't about to sneak up on anybody. The God I serve looks the devil straight in the eye and shoots from the hip. He ain't about to take any hostages. My God, the God I serve, sets people free. He marches in the front door and sets the captive free. The God I serve talks to the storm and calms it. He doesn't sneak up on the storm and surprises it. The God I serve says you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to get into heaven. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, that's what you have to do. He doesn't sneak up on people and says, oh, you can drink Kool-Aid for the first month. But after that, then you start drinking my blood. Even though the multitude left him, he said, that's a requirement. And I love this one. (laughs) My God is going to come back. And he ain't sneaking up on the enemy and coming in the back door using some kind of ambush. My Bible says, my God is coming back riding on a white horse (laughs) with the host of heaven following him. And he's looking at the enemy's army and and a sword comes out of his mouth and he cuts them down. That's better than what John Wayne does. Because my God doesn't sneak up on the enemy. My God doesn't look for ambushes. My God doesn't sneak in the back door. My God looks at the front door and then kicks it in. That's what my God does. If we're building revivals on anything else but Jesus, it'll fail. 
don't care how good the coffee is. <laughs> I don't care if you have Krispy Kreme donuts. It's going to fail. But when it's built on Jesus, it'll stand. And it'll grow. And the kingdom will be enriched by it. Is the handwriting on the wall? Is the handwriting on the wall? Let me finish with this. Very serious note. As Jesus wrote, many, many tekel you farsen on the wall for America. As Jesus declared to America, many, meaning your days have been numbered and you are finished. As he declared, tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to your enemies. Has God written that on the wall for America yet? If we don't change, that's what it, what's going to happen. This great nation will crumble. We've lived under the hand of God's favor so long we take it for granted. And there's going to come a day when Jesus will say enough is enough. And this great nation will crumble. And I'm going to tell you this. It isn't going to be because our enemies come from outside America. It will because, be because the enemies have come from within and destroyed this country from within. There is still no nation that can stand up against us with military-wise in the world. And I don't believe that every army in the world could come together and unite together and beat us. We would still win that war because of our firepower, but more importantly, because of the heart of our warriors. But the enemy that will destroy this country is an enemy from within. The spirit of lawlessness that we've allowed to enter into this nation that's what will destroy America. Our willingness to allow things that are so ungodly that our parents, parents would never even speak of is now allowed to take place and even said to be okay to do it. That is the enemy that will destroy America. And the handwriting is on the wall. And the only thing that will save America is if the church stands up and becomes a voice again, a voice heard in the wilderness, crying out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. This nation will fall unless it relearns 
the lesson that it once lived by that this nation has to become one nation under God once again. And the only person or group of people that will speak that message is you and I in the church. And the church has to arise and lead this nation in a repentant prayer once again. I'm not talking about revivals coming up in various areas of the country. I'm talking about the church being the voice that speaks about God's standard of living. And if we do that, revivals will take place. But we need a change of heart in America. And that change will take place through you and me. And I know that this is a praying congregation. That's why I'm praying. That's why I'm speaking this this message to you, because I know you pray for your nation. And I'm just encouraging you to keep praying for your nation, because you're what's standing between America and God's judgment. And up until now, you and people like you have held back the hand of God's judgment and punishment on America. And so if we quit praying, the handwriting will appear on the wall. And so I'm going to invite you to find a place of prayer. I know it's late. But I want you to spend a little bit of time praying for your country and asking the Lord, give us one more day. Give us one more day. One more opportunity to reach one more soul. Can we pray that? Can we pray that prayer? Lord, wait one more day before you write the handwriting on the wall. America can turn around if you give us one more chance. Let's find a place of prayer and say, God, hold back your judgment one more day.